Well, how's it going? It's good to see you guys this morning. I'm so uh, thankful to be able to be here again this week and continue in our must-see TV series. We're doing Grace Anatomy today. I'll just do this because I did it in the first service. So I don't know if you're familiar with the show Grey's Anatomy or not, but this is a play on that title. And uh, apparently that show is about uh, this female doctor who has uh, a lot of expectation to live up to with her mom, who was a big wig at this hospital that she's now an intern at. And then uh, the story kind of chronicles her as she grows uh, through her experience as a doctor. That don't have anything to do with what I'm going to preach today. <laughs> Nothing. All right? I don't watch the show, uh, but I just know about it. All right? Because my wife watches it. All right? So, anyways. So, I want to talk this morning about grace. What is grace? What is grace? Well, grace just means unmerited favor. It means you receive something better than you deserved. It means that you receive something that you in no way earned. That you earned the opposite of that, yet you received it instead. That's what grace is and what grace does. It means unconditional love despite all that we do to God. He provides unconditional love for us. You're grateful for that this morning? Two people are. All right, we're good. We're off to a good start. Listen, I want to just say this. I want to preempt the, the message this morning with just this. That God's grace responded to a hopeless situation with me. All right? It responded to a hopeless situation with me. There was a time in my life when, when I was hopeless. I grew up in church and have been around church my whole life. My dad's a pastor, and um, I knew all the right things, all the right things to say. I knew all the Bible verses. I knew all about Jesus. I knew all these things, but I didn't know him. And I reached a point in my life when I was hopeless. I literally had reached a point when I was hopeless. I had nothing to reach for, nothing to go to. But in that moment, God's grace responded to my situation. And can I tell you this this morning? It's available to respond to yours. So this morning, as we go through uh, today's sermon, I want to point out three things about grace. Three things that grace does for us. The first thing is this. That in life, grace finds us. Grace finds us. You remember that last week we went through the parables of the lost. And we looked at three different uh, types of lostness, if you will. Remember the first one was um, more of this, I see greener pastures, I'm a wandering lost soul. Remember that? And then the second one was, it was kind of uh, relationally lost. In, this, in the busyness of everyday life, we kind of lost in our relationship with Jesus. We lost that connection there. And the business of life. And then the third thing was sometimes we choose to wander and to go in not just a relationally, kind of situationally close type of lostness, but to another zip code. We, we go crazy and get outside the will of God. But in all three situations, it's God's grace that comes looking for us. Because we don't deserve for Him to come looking to us, right? We don't deserve for him to come find us. What we deserve is for, us to leave, for him to leave us there where we're at, hopeless. But God's grace and his mercy and his grace come to us. I was reminded last week as uh, I preached the sermon of the prodigal, the parable of the prodigal son. And we talked about how the prodigal had received all these things from his father. He had an early receipt of his inheritance from his father. And you remember the story goes he went out and... And he blew it, right? 
He went out and lived life lavishly. He went out and spent it all up and had done all he wanted to do. And he found himself in in a hopeless situation. He found himself in a detestable place with the pigs. With the pigs. Now, to a Jewish person, I mentioned this last week, but I'll mention it again. To a Jewish person, this was the most detestable thing that you could do. But he found himself in a hopeless situation. And remember the story goes that he came to himself. Remember the Holy Spirit did a work inside of it, convicted him, and he came to himself. And he returned to the Father where the Father lovingly accepted him back with unconditional love, love undeserved. And somebody brought this to my attention last week after the service, and I think it's so cool. Can you imagine the condition that this guy was in? If he had been living with the pigs. I'm guessing that he wasn't very clean. He probably hadn't found a a little watering hole to be able to wash some of the mud and the muck off of himself. I, I almost would imagine this. They didn't smell very good either. I bet he 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 stank. That's how we say it in Southern Morgan County. He stank. The King James Version would say it like this: he stinketh. But whatever the situation was, he wasn't acceptable right in that moment. He wasn't really acceptable. He's dirty, stinky, unclean. But look at even in that condition, the Bible doesn't say that the father ran to him and said, Hey, son, glad to see you. Come on in, have a shower. It says that he went to him and he embraced him just as he was. I want to tell you this this morning, because that paints a beautiful picture for us as unbelievers. Don't try to clean yourself up to come to Jesus. Don't try to clean yourself up to come to him, because the cleanness you can get is still nasty. Come to him just as you are. Remember the old hymn we used to sing, just as I am? That's the way God commands us to come to him, just as we are, because he is full of grace. So the first thing I want us to see this morning about grace is that grace finds us. Grace comes seeking us. It finds us. Remember all these situations that we talked about last week. The joy was in the finding. Y'all didn't forget that, did you? The joy was in the finding. Remember, grace seeks out who we are, where we are, and it comes looking for us. It finds us where we are. Even in the times, like the prodigal, where we choose intentionally to walk away from God. Grace finds us in those moments. Now, the Apostle Paul, who was a brilliant writer of Scripture, all right? If you just want to get a blessing out of God's Word, now all of it is just we know, divinely inspired. But man, when you begin to read Paul's letters to the churches and just the insight and the intellect in which he writes these things, it is a blessing. Now, I'm going to tell you before we get head first deep into this this morning that these scriptures that we're reading today excite me, all right? I, I had somebody come up to me after last service and say, look, you're probably wearing down off that Red Bull high of your own, so there's some more in the back if you need some. I'm not high on Red Bull, even though I probably seem like it, and I'm not ADHD or anything like that, and I didn't miss my shot of Ritalin this morning. What I am is excited about the Word of God, because these scriptures that we're going to read today are exciting. They're exciting. 
And if you're a believer in here today, you should get excited about it. Now, I'm not asking you to jump up and run around or anything like that. All I'm asking you to do is consider what the apostle is saying to us here. So let's begin reading. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 2 and Romans chapter 5, kind of side by side as we go through the three aspects of grace this morning. Let's begin reading Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Let's read it together. And you were dead in trespasses and sin. That really just kind of kind of brings together where all of us were prior to God's grace. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Just a side note, really quickly, just going to stop and just tell you this little story right quick because it's kind of funny. I was a student pastor for six years, all right? There's all kinds of stories I could tell you, good ones. All right. But one that, that comes to mind when I read the scripture, I was preaching out of Ephesians chapter 2 one night to, to, to my student group, and we had 35, 40 kids in there, and we're, we're going to town. I'm, I'm preaching a passionate message. And, and I, I, uh, I want to invoke response from them. So as we go through the message, I would ask them questions. So we're reading Ephesians chapter 2 here, and we get to this part where it says, following the prince of the power of the air. And I stop and I said, who's the prince of the power of the air? And this is the response I got. Kind of what y'all are doing right now. And I said, who is it? And this one kid who, who, who generally always answered, right? He defaulted back to the, the right answer is always this. And he went, Jesus? And I said, no! It's Satan! The opposite of Jesus! It's a good answer, good try. No, it wasn't. Don't ever say that again. Prince of the power of the air, Satan! Y'all got that? Are y'all with me? That's where we were one time. We were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's where you were this morning. All right, I'm going to piggyback off this a little later in the service. But that's where you were before you become a believer of Jesus. And that's where you are if you're a non-believer this morning. You were, like the rest of mankind, children of wrath. In the book of Romans, Paul groups all this together. All this, this kind of uh, description of who you were before Jesus. Paul groups all this together in Romans chapter 5. And he says it like this. He said, for when you were still weak. I'd say we could all agree this morning that before we came to an understanding knowledge of Jesus Christ, we could be classified as weak, right? All of us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. So right here he's, give, he's given us two descriptions of where we were before Jesus. We were weak and we were ungodly. But I want you to notice what he says here. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us. Please don't miss this. God shows his love for us in that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, amazing grace. In the middle of the madness, in the middle of the darkness, in the middle of the mess that we were in in life, Christ died for us in those moments. 
Right now, when you are lost in your relationship with Jesus, you've stepped away, you've consciously stepped away. Or you've, in the busyness of life, you've been shuffled out of relationship with Him. It's in those moments Jesus died for us. In the times where we sought greener pastures elsewhere, we've been willing to go to a different zip code because we're seeking other things other than God. It's in those moments Jesus died for you. And I want to tell you this, and I want you to keep this, make this, make this stick in your head this morning. When we come to a fork in the road in life, which we do so often, when we come to this decision-making moment in life, where one path takes us away from the will of God and the other path is the will of God, it's in those moments that we should stop and consider, it's for this time right here that Christ died for me. In this moment. His grace was poured out in a moment of agony and torment. The worst death a person could die, he endured it through grace for me, for this moment. Y'all weren't near as excited about that as I thought you were. You want to get some perspective on what's important. You think about that in the, in, the, in the times of life when we hit a fork in the road. It's for those moments that Christ died for you. His grace is enough to keep you in those moments and to guide you where you have to go. So not only does God's grace find us where we're at, but His grace saves us. Oh, this is good. This is good. I'm amen myself here. God's grace not only finds us, but it saves us. Now, I don't want you to miss this, because he doesn't leave us where he finds us. Somebody. He doesn't leave us where he finds us. He don't leave us in the pig pen. He don't leave us in the mire and the muck. Listen, he finds us, and he saves us. I love how there's some old hymns that, that, um, that kind of draw our attention to this. One of them is, on Christ the solid rock I stand. Can I tell you this? You didn't get there by yourself. He placed you there. You're not still in the mess. He got you out. Again, we go back to Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says this. It's a but God moment in the Bible. Are you thankful for those? I'm thankful for but God moments in the Bible. I love how he says it here. Remember, we were all these things. We were dead in our trespasses and our sin. But verse 5 has this pivot point here. It says, but God, I'm so thankful for that, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loves us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up and he seated us with him, Jesus, in heavenly places. So that in the coming age we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And let me just tag this on because Paul did. You didn't do anything. Nothing. Everything you did deserved the opposite. Everything I did deserved hell. Nothing else hell but here Paul makes this he draws it in he says this is not of your own doing it's a gift of God 
It's the most precious gift we can receive from God, the salvation that's provided through Jesus. And he goes on again, he said, this is not a result of works, so that anyone can boast. We'd be tempted to do that, wouldn't we? Look at me. Look what I did. I got saved. Look at me. I earned this. I walked up and did this. No, you didn't. If you're a believer in here today, it's for no other reason than but by the grace of God. That's it. That's it. Don't read into it any more than it is. It's by God's grace, and that's it. Look what Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 5, to parallel along with Ephesians chapter 2 here. He says, since therefore we have been justified. Oh, that's, that's really good. Since we've been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Goodness, y'all, listen, that's powerful, powerful stuff there. What Jesus is saying to us, God is saying through his word, through the apostle Paul, here is this. You have been made right with Jesus because of his death. Hallelujah for that. Because I don't know, listen, uh, you remember the song that John Newton wrote, Amazing Grace? All y'all know that one? Any of y'all raised in church? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. John Newton understood here where he was. He understood here that he was a wretch. In fact, if you don't know the story of John Newton, can I take just a a tiny second. I'll, I'll do the Cliff Notes version of it. John Newton was raised the son of a sailor. His mom was a godly woman, but she died at the age of seven. And John Newton started rebelling and doing his own thing wherever he wanted to. And all of a sudden, at the age of 10 or 11, he decided he was going to jump on a ship with his dad, and he was going to be a sailor as well. And there's a lot of varying stories about what all happened during those years, during those uh, growing up years and then adult years of John Newton. But one thing that all of them agree on is he was the worst of the worst. That his mouth would make a sailor blush. That's tough. He would intentionally do things to try to harm people and get in trouble. And he stayed in trouble, even at one time uh, becoming a slave in and of itself. And so John Newton goes on, and then he's on a ship, and, and this is kind of where things get a little bit fuzzy about what really happened. But the story goes that John Newton was in the middle of a raging storm, and he cried out to God for salvation, and God saved them and prolonged their life. And the story goes on that John Newton later wrote, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound, because he understood the condition of his heart. He understood where he was. And can I say this? We were no better than him. Any of us, no matter how you were raised, no matter how good you thought you were growing up, we were no better than John Newton. We were no better than Paul, who said, I was the chief of sinners. You're no better than John Evans, who I could tell you was the chief of sinners. We all are in a condition. And in that moment, the Bible tells us here, Romans 5 tells us here, that when God died for us, he offered us an opportunity to be reconciled, brought back together with Jesus. But it didn't just stop there. He said, if you've been reconciled by his blood, that by his grace, you are saved to walk a life worthy of the call. 
I love this. I love it where he says, you've been justified as blood, but much more we shall be saved by him. We're saved by him from the wrath of God. While we were enemies of him, his death made us reconcile, but we are saved by his life. We're saved to continue to walk in a way in which he's called us to. Grace did that. Grace did that for you. Grace did that for me. Listen, if we can't get excited about the fact that we were enemies with God and did nothing to reconcile that, but God, through Jesus and his reconciling power on the cross, made us together with him again. Oh, y'all a little bit more lively than the nine. A little bit. That's good stuff, man. If you can't get excited about that, what are we even doing here? He has reconciled us by his blood, and he has saved us from the wrath of God to live a life worthy of the call. So that gets us back to what we were talking about. Grace finds us. Grace saves us. But then grace does this third thing that I think is so important. It sustains us. It sustains us. It carries us daily. Ephesians chapter 2, let's finish reading what Paul writes to the church of Ephesus here. He says in verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You say, hold on, preacher. You just got through saying works didn't do anything for us. No, 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 no. Don't miss what the Bible says here. You didn't do anything to get saved. You can't work for salvation. The old, the old uh, cliche is this, you don't work to be saved, you work because you are saved. So what that's telling us here, and what Paul is saying to us here in his letter to the church at Ephesus is, while you are called to follow Jesus, you're not called to sit on the sideline. You're not called to be just an average Joe, content with just getting by each day following Jesus. That's not what he called us to do. He called us to good works. He called us to do something. We have this messed up picture about Christians sometimes. Well, just feeble, meek, little sheep. Just going along, following Jesus. Nope. The Bible says you don't consider yourselves sheep for the slaughter. No, 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 no. He says you are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. You know, that tells me that we are a generation of believers who are I can believers. And when God calls us to do something, we should respond with, I can and I will through Christ who strengthens me. We wear that scripture out a lot. I can do all things through Christ. Taken out of context. I can do all things through Christ, but it's the things that he's instructing, called me to do through Jesus. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. So grace finds us. Grace saves us. Grace sustains us. We should walk in these things. God is doing something in his people. He does something in his people continuously. It's a pattern of development. At our job, where I am a production manager, we have this uh, thing that we do in our departments is called OJT, on-the-job training. Y'all familiar with that? Anybody? And what that does is it lays out what the expectation is. 
And so as they develop in their skill set, they go along and are signed off on the different skills that they have achieved or the different things that they can do because of the proper training they receive. So they become to look more and more like a skilled worker. In your life as a believer, we read the instructions that are given to us by God through His Word. And as we do that, we develop into someone who looks more and more like Jesus. That process is called sanctification. It means that it's a process of growth in Jesus. So God doesn't just bring us from where we were. He doesn't just save us out of a mess and say, all right, buddy, good luck. We do that a lot, don't we? We bring people in. They become believers. And we're like, all right, man, congratulations. You're a believer now. You're a Christian. High fives. Good luck with that. Send them on their way. But see... God is in the process of using his people to develop these sound followers of Jesus. And he does this through you engaging with him through his word and through prayer and engaging with others who come alongside you and show you how to walk according to Jesus' name. Sanctification happens when we become believers. It's it's that we're not called to just sit there and be content where we were. Remember Paul speaks to that when he talks about a new believer being on milk. And now he graduates to finally be able to chew on meat, just like a baby. But you're not, you shouldn't be a 20-year Christian milk drinker. You shouldn't be. We're called to grow in Christ. Let me just uh, read you 1 Corinthians chapter 1, because I love this. And I know you think I got excited about Ephesians 2 and Romans 5, and they're all good. But this is really good. You with me? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, let's read verses 4 through 9. It says this, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. We could all say that to one another today, couldn't we? And we should. We should give thanks for each other here today. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, sanctification, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, who will sustain you to the end? I'm thankful for that, aren't you? We ain't got to do this thing alone. We ain't got to try to figure it out. We got a Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us that's guiding us along the path of life. Sometimes we don't listen to it, do we? Sometimes we're slothful to follow it. A lot of times we choose to ignore it. But God has promised He'll never leave us or forsake us, and He has promised that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. The same Spirit that that, that dwelled inside the life of the apostles and the early church is the same Spirit that dwells in us. And it's called to lead us on a daily basis as we walk through life. He says, I will sustain you to the end. But this is supposed to get exciting. Y'all ready? This really is supposed to get exciting. Verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 8. I've almost skipped over the most exciting part. Verse 8. He will sustain you to the end. And he says this, which just blows my mind. This is one of those moments. He will sustain you to the end. Guiltless. 
guiltless. Guiltless. Don't miss that. Guiltless. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to tell you something. At some point, at God's choosing, I don't know, you don't know, all these goofballs that say they know don't know. Listen, Jesus don't even know. The Bible says Jesus don't know. But at a day of his appointing, when the father says, son, go get my children, there's going to be some things that take place on earth. And can I tell you that it's going to be a day of reckoning. It's going to be some horrific things that happen. And at some point, there is going to be a judgment throne that people stand before and give an account. And God's going to look at those who are not covered in the blood of Jesus and say, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. And then there's going to be a day when those who are believers in Jesus stand before that same judge, who is a righteous judge, by the way, who is a right judge, who does nothing wrong, nothing. Every decision that he makes is right. And he's going to stand, and sit on, I'm sorry, sit on his throne, and, he, and we're going to stand before him, and listen, he's going to look at us. And because of this grace, we are going to stand before him guiltless. Y'all, come on. Listen to me. We're going to stand before him guiltless. What that means is we committed the crime. We are guilty. You, me, Billy Graham, the Apostle Paul, Peter, every one of us, we are guilty before God. I used to use this analogy. I think it's beautiful. That when we stand there that day in front of God and he looks at us, there's going to be a representative that's standing there with us. The one, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who's going to stand before us, right here beside us, and stand before God. And as God looks at us, I can imagine Jesus putting his arm around us and saying, Father, he's mine. And in that moment, the righteous judge says, not guilty. Amen. Not guilty. Enter in here. Y'all, come on. Amen. Come on. You deserving of that this morning? None of us. None of us. Every one of us are deserving of hell and nothing else but hell. But because of the grace of God... We are going to stand before him and Jesus is going to be there to represent us, to say, Father, he belongs to me. And the response of God is, you're guiltless. I'm not, y'all. Listen, I'm not guiltless. I'm guilty of so many wrongs before my God. But thanks be to him that through the blood of Jesus, I am Whoo! Can't get excited about that. It's pulse check time. That's so good. That's so good. Man, I got a blessing out of that. You amen your own preaching. That ain't bad. 
I know this. No, no, nobody this side of heaven knows me like I do. Nobody this side of heaven knows you like you do. You may have your wife fooled, your kids fooled. You may have your boss fooled. You may have your best friend fooled. Nobody knows you like you do. But even the wretchedness of who you are right now, when we are believers in the Most High God and we, have called, we are called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we too are guiltless. I'm so, so thankful for that this morning. Guiltless before the God of the universe is beyond my comprehension. That's grace. Undeserved favor. That's grace. I almost don't even say anything else. That is, that, that is just, that preaches itself. That's grace. It's undeserved. But we get it because of Jesus. You know what that should do? It could do one of two things for us. It could make us pompous and proud. Look at me. I got saved. I'm a believer. Look at me. Look what I did. Hey, look at me. I'm a believer. We could be proud. See, I think that's probably what happened to the children of Israel as God called them out of Egypt, enslaved to Pharaoh. And they got to come out because he sent his servant Moses to bring them out. And through his grace, he led them out. But the minute that they met the first obstacle, the very second that they met the first obstacle, they started longing to go back. God delivered them. They go, they meet another obstacle, they desire to go back. To the point where they make an idiotic statement like this. At least when we were enslaved, we had food to eat. How stupid is that? Oh, I long to go back to the misery I was in that I cried out to God for every single day to deliver me from. I long to go back to that because it satisfied me a little bit. Or what about when we, we look at the message of the prodigal, the parable of the prodigal, and we look at him and how he went and wasted all that he had and ended up where he did, and we think, what an idiot. And we become pompous like the older brother who didn't want to receive him back. We become proud and say, wait a minute, God, I never left you. I stayed right beside you, and you're showing mercy to this guy who is the crook of all crooks. Who is the center of all sinners? You're doing that. Look at me. I stayed right beside you the whole time. We become proud and pompous in the fact that we're saved. And we can do that very easily. So it can drive us to be proud or pompous. But the other thing it can do, and this is what it should do, is it should drive us to our knees in worship. It should drive us to the place where we say, God, I can't comprehend how good you are to me. I can't comprehend the grace that you bestow on me daily. God, I can't understand why you would do that. But God, I'm so thankful. It changes us. Listen what it does. It changes the way we read God's word. When we read God's word in the light of his grace, it changes how we read it. All of a sudden, the scriptures become real to us. They start to jump off the page at us. Oh, look at that. 
Listen, when I was preaching in the first service, I'm not kidding you, there was a part in the first service I got to in one of those scriptures we read today, and I thought, oh, God, you're so good. You're so good to me. It changes the way we read God's word. It changes the way we worship him. Listen, those are not just words you're reading on the screen. That's revelation. That's truth. It changes how we worship. It changes how we read God's word. It changes how we communicate to God when we do all those things in the light of his grace. Man, that's good stuff. Let's pray. God, I'm mindful this morning that I can't take a step without your grace. God, that I am unworthy of your guidance, your goodness. But God, I'm so thankful that grace allows you to daily make mercy's new. Father, I'll never, ever fully comprehend why you set your mercy and your affection on a sinner like me. I'm undeserving. I'm unworthy. But you're good. And God, I'm thankful today that you didn't just find me where I was at and leave me there, but you found me and you saved me. I'm so thankful that you didn't just save me, but that you sustain me, that you carry me through each day, God, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you guide me through each day, God. I'm so thankful for sanctification. I'm so thankful that you're continuously molding us into a picture of Jesus Christ. But God, I'm so, so thankful today that despite my wickedness, despite my inabilities, but despite my, my, um, my desires and, and, God, the things that happen inside of me, the, the thoughts of my mind, God, the, the things that I do, I'm so thankful today that because of Jesus, I'll stand before you guiltless. And, God, that you will accept me into your kingdom because of your son, not anything I've done, but because of your son. So help out today, God, to change us from the inside out. God, for it to change the way we read your word, for it to change the way we sing praises to you, for it to change our prayer life with you. God, that we would become, uh, we, would, we would have a realistic view of your grace. And God, have the impact of us be profound. Oh God, you're a great God. You are an awesome God. Worthy of our praise. And so we take a few minutes now to give you that praise. In Jesus' name, amen.